Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. It's time for our third annual Walking Letter of Hope Day on August 6, 2022. Walking Letter of Hope Day is a 24-hour extravaganza that puts you at the center of all of our celebrations. Not only is Walking Letter of Hope Day a 24-hour fundraising event, but really it's a day to celebrate you. It's a day to celebrate your journey, your miracle, and all that you have overcome together. So there's three ways to participate. One, you can wear your incredible Walking Letter of Hope Day merchandise. Two, share on social media what you're wearing that day, what your family is up to, and also share about your journey. Share what being a walking letter of hope means to you. And three, and this is the biggie, give. There's actually two ways to do this. One, you can start an individual fundraiser, share that with your family and friends, or two, you can even start a team and gather a bunch of fundraisers under you. Join us on August 6th as we celebrate the remarkable Dear Nikki Mama Sisterhood and also as we celebrate you. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. I stumbled because I didn't know if I should include my last name. Sometimes I do that, and then I think <laughs> to myself, no one needs to know what my last name is. No one needs to look up where I live. Um, anyway, we're back today. I'm feeling kind of extra cozy. I'm wearing very cozy socks. How about you, Ash? Ooh, you know, I am also feeling extra cozy. I have a knit blanket wrapped around my legs, and mm. I'm feeling good. So You yeah, look so like great. you're wearing what I like to refer to as the Princess Diana sweatshirt. Like she would Ooh. wear it with bike shorts, you know? And that I'm wearing bike picture. shorts, too. Oh, my gosh. You're, oh you're full-on Princess Di right now, and I well. love it. I love that for me. Uh, we are back this week to talk with Kate Erickson, mom to Remy and Reese. <laughs> and we heard last time about their incredible birth story, uh, finding out that they were conjoined and walking through that journey together. It it really was astonishing and incredible. And I loved hearing about it from you, Kate. I think you did a terrific job telling your story. I just want to commend you for that. Thank you. Well, and we have had this part two on the calendar rescheduled a couple of times because as we will hear in Kate's episode, life after NICU is not always a one line, you know, going straight. Nope. It sometimes has some valleys and some mountains. <laughs> and so we get to also hear about what life after NICU has looked like, how they have navigated life as a family now that they're home. And so, Kate, we're so um, grateful that you made time to schedule this amidst the past month that you have had in your yeah. life. <laughs> And so um, we kind of left off with part one. Um, they had their miraculous surgery. They were now two little girls instead of one. And just hearing about that alone was wild. But there's still more because they were still in the NICU after this. So can we kind of come back to that place and talk a little bit about recovery after surgery and their NICU stays after their major surgery? Yeah, I think after surgery, we were kind of riding a high, you know, um, 
a lot of them, a lot of the doctors didn't really expect Reese to make it out like at all or nearly as good as she was. Um, they had thought she would come out on ECMO and to have her come out with way less than what they, they said she would need was just amazing. And she was doing so good. You know, we didn't have to do anything. They said, let's hold off on um, the stuff we were going to do for her heart and basically just let her heal for a while before we get into anything. And um, the first week was just sitting there, hanging out, you know, a nice and quiet ride. And <laughs> it, it didn't last very long, but um, I think a week or so into it, we kind of hit another road bump and we got right back to work on um, just fixing whatever problem we could first. So she ended up going back into the cath lab and um, they closed her PDA. You know, it was just what what can we kind of check off her list of mm -hmm. medical needs to get done first? What what needs it most? And it was a, it was tricky because you know she had a lot of needs then a lot of a lot of her issues were all high on the list so it was a battle of talking to different doctors and what can we fix first and what you know they argue about what 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 is most important and so it's just very scary and trying times of you know thinking how are we going to fix everything when one thing is more important than the other and and yeah. what if we do one thing first and then that other thing kind of deteriorates quick and so it was, it was it was hard you know just going through those emotions and and waiting but knowing things needed to get done yeah yeah this that you know that that kind of brings up an interesting question for me Kate which is you talked a lot about how you know, in last episode, a lot of doctors hadn't done this procedure. Or it was like the second time they'd done this procedure and it wasn't exactly the same. So I'm sure a lot of them are looking at this as like a teaching or a research moment as well. Yeah. And so you talk about doctors kind of saying, no, we're going to uh, focus on breathing or heart or, or any of these different elements, yeah. right? And what does that feel like for you to kind of to know that there wasn't exactly anybody who had been like Reese or Remy yeah. before that had been the same situation. How did that feel for you to navigate all of this? I mean, it definitely was scary. Um, mm -hmm. And I think having the doctors that we did have was very helpful because they always had plan A, B, and C. You know, it wasn't ever just, oh, if this doesn't work, we don't really have an option. And they knew a lot of other people, so they would pull people in. You know, if they didn't have mm -hmm. an answer themselves, they went and asked other people. So it was nice to have them reach out and kind of reassure us that, you know, if this doesn't work, we're going to try everything that we can to fix everything and get her home to you guys. So it, it, it definitely helped having those ty types, types of doctors with us. Yeah. No, and then um, after they did one thing, we went into um, another scary surgery um and we didn't realize it until they told us about it um so she had an aorta pexy done which is where they stitch um her aorta to her i believe sternum 
um, and they call it the Goldilocks surgery. And it has to be done just right or she could die. And they did not tell us that until that day. You know, oh. of course, going into surgery, they have to tell you all oh, this could happen. And um, they just kind of explained to us how serious the surgery was. And, you know, we walked into it. We're like, what? Oh, well, we just thought it was going to be another surgery. You know, we're used to them by now. And um, it was, I think, really hard not only the surgery, but the times, the time we were down there, it, um, there was a lot of stuff going on around the hospital. It was boarded up, getting locked down. So, you know, on top of a very serious surgery, you got stuff outside of the hospital that you're having to worry about too. And, you know, it's just like, can we just have one thing to worry about instead of it all piling on at once? Yeah, It's very hard to just shut your brain off and focus on just her surgery and her coming out okay right yeah and we're both we're both Remy and Reese in the NICU at this time together like were they both there at this time or had one been discharged already I mean what was like their timelines um after surgery Remy didn't have a lot to kind of check off her list she had um feeding issues which I think most moms of Nikki babies know that's probably the hardest thing to get over because it's, you can't force them to eat. They have to figure it out on their own and it just has to click for them. And, um, she did not want to do it. She had to have thickened feeds and, you know, nurses in the hospital, they have multiple clients, multiple patients. They're taking care of lots of babies. They don't have time to sit and take an hour to feed them. And Remy had, just she was very slow to eat and they had a certain number that she needed to take by mouth and you know we just had to be really big advocates for saying you know she's not going to line up with those numbers because she is her own little person and it's more than just what you see on that scale Mm -hmm. and so we fought really hard to let her come home and maybe just get weighed at home or, you know, kind of like she had to hit a certain point to get home. Um, And in order to do that, we had to stay at the hospital and only us feed her because we could read her cues more than the nurses could. And so it was a very hard time of us, you know, we had to be in that room because we had to feed her when she was hungry. And so it took apart like, um, so Reese was down on the CV unit, and then they moved Remy up to the PICU. She was still with the CV workers, but up a floor. So it was just, you're running up and down, and every time you're in one room, then the doctors you're waiting for in the other room are there. So it, mm-hmm. was, it was very back and forth of trying to manage both of them there. But Remy came home. Uh, about uh, maybe a month, month and a half after surgery. So it was then a struggle of having one at home and one still there. And of course, for those two, you know, they were connected and that they're each other's comfort. So having one come home during COVID when she couldn't come back, Mm -hmm. it was very hard because, you know, Reese is then there by herself 
and before mm-hmm. at least if we couldn't be there for a couple hours because of our other kids it you know they had each other so right. we didn't feel as bad and then Remy comes home and Reese is there by herself it's just it was so draining to oh, think yeah. of like what is she feeling now by herself there right. so it was it was hard I know this is maybe hard to answer because babies can't exactly like verbalize to you like this is how I'm feeling but did you ever could you ever sense that they missed each other like could you ever feel like they knew yeah that 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 their person was missing I mean how did that look like um for Reese not as much because you know she was very sedated still for a while Mm -hmm. after surgery but when she was having a rough day in the hospital Remy at home she was hollering up the storm and it was almost like yeah she could tell and um wow if Reese was up at night so was Remy at home and we're like this is just insane whoa yeah so I felt like they they could kind of tell us I miss my sister I want her back and yeah when they're younger you can't really tell as much and now it's way more but Mm -hmm. just thinking about that like she could sense I felt at the hospital yeah. when she was having a tougher time yeah yeah absolutely oh that's so i mean it's so i keep i keep just imagining you running up and down those stairs but then also <laughs> uh like you said you had other kids at home too and yeah. um you know even the most compassionate young children is are still young children so having to relay and and explain all of this to them is really hard too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, other than, you know, your little sisters are really sick, but still they begin to miss you as well. I mean, imagine those yep. times when you're trying to feed on cue. I mean, you really can't do anything else. It's you yeah. have to let some, something fall. Right. So yeah. how, how did you manage that with, um, going back and forth between your other kids at home too? And it, it was constantly changing because they would go to school and then it would be back to quarantine and of we were doing, course. yeah, oh we were doing gosh. school online at God home. God bless so you. <laughs> we had to adjust our schedule a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, because at first it was fine. We would go while they were at school and then we'd come home so that we were home when they were home. And then, you know, they're home and we have to do school. So we'd have to switch our schedule up again and it would be Rob would spend one day down there. And I'd stay home with the kids so that they always had at least one of us. But um, that whole time, you know, when you give birth, you're having to say goodbye to them, your your older kids, and listen to them cry. Or when you finally do leave the hospital, you have, you're crying yourself because you're, you're yeah. saying goodbye to your girls there. And it's just, it's so emotionally draining because you can't make everybody happy. I had um, Chase call me from school crying. His teacher was like, well, you know, mm-hmm. he's having a rough day. And, and I thought it would be nice to just have him call you. And so he did. He's called crying. He's like, I just miss you. And mm. it was hard on him because he's older. He understood more. And so, just, you know, you're just constantly pulled in all directions. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> yeah, you're just doing your best. But we just, yeah, just changed our schedule to adjust to whatever was happening at home and did what we could because you can't ever make everyone happy, but. No. Well, and I think about, um, we hear those quotes often of, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. And sometimes at the end of the day, it's just like, 
we just did it because yeah. we had to, you know, yep. there was no other option. And, and especially in your case, like there wasn't another option. Yeah. You guys just did it and you did it well. I mean, considering all of the factors that played into your story and adding COVID onto that, I yeah. mean, really, like as if parenting <laughs> wasn't already hard, let's just throw in a pandemic where every day yep. the school schedule is going to change. And, yep. you know, so it's also interesting because for your, for your older kids, not only were they adjusting to like sharing you with their younger sisters, but they were like their normal routines were also yeah. disrupted. And yeah. I'm sure that was really difficult for you to try and navigate as well. Yeah. No, it's and we have um family around here to help us, which was very, very helpful. Um sure. and our church family was amazing. They mm-hmm. did the meals on wheels type of stuff and oh, yes. we had so much help that just like going and spending the day at the hospital, coming home to still a home-cooked meal that you didn't have to cook was just, it was much needed because you're just, there's days where you're standing bedside and you don't leave, so you don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. So having, having that was, it, I don't think we would have survived without it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say? I know we have this question that comes up a lot, um, especially for multiples, right? Parents of multiples or um, parents of kiddos who have ongoing complex medical needs, you know, lots of ups and downs in the NICU, lots, you know, many different issues and many different specialties involved in getting them well and ready to go home. The endurance that's required is really next level. I mean, it's a crazy mind game. How did you get through or what were some of the the strategies or or things that you leaned on in order to get through that time you know yeah. obviously it's one day at a time right <laughs> yeah. but but uh how how did you handle it i think what really helped us was focusing on at least one good thing no matter how small it was and like mm-hmm. holding on to that because it is it's a lot of super negative stuff that you have no control over. You have no idea how it's going to turn out. And just those little wins that we had, we would just focus on those, hold on to them, and just that was all we would think about. And then each night, Rob and I, we would be like, you know what? Today, we made it today. That's mm-hmm. all we have to think about is we survived today. Our kids are happy. They're healthy. They're fed. You know, like what we can give them is that that's all we can do. So just Mm -hmm. don't worry about the stuff that you can't control and can't take care of and just literally do only what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Remy is discharged from the NICU. So, you know, when did Reese get to come home and what was required for her to be able to come home? What were some of, like, the final stretches? Yeah. So, okay, how the unit is set up in our hospital it's they have those operating doors and um the rooms closest to those doors are the sickest kids and that is where Remy and Reese stayed for a very long time and I think um I think Reese was maybe eight or nine months until we finally moved a few doors down so Mm -hmm. we moved a, a few doors down and then a couple more. So we slowly <laughs> made our way towards the exit. Sure. Um, yeah. But she had to have a couple more surgeries. Um, they had hoped that uh, after they were separated that she would be able to be extubated and not need 
any more support. Um, but her, the way that she developed, it just, it wasn't in the cards for her. So they ended up doing a trach because mm -hmm. if they didn't, she would just stay intubated forever. So um, she ended up having that done. She had to have a G2 placed and that was a struggle on its own too because from birth she was only fed into her jejunum so when we tried to put it into her gut the first time um her belly got huge she started throwing mm -hmm. up and you know anytime you are doing really well and then you hit a setback you're like oh my gosh we're never going home <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was hard to see that and her surgeon was very set on getting her fed into her gut and like having some sort of normalcy for her and so they did a Nissen and a G-tube at the same time. And he placed just a G-tube so that nobody could um, feed her into the jejunum anymore. And because, it, again, it was a, a battle of, no, she needs a GJ. Like, just give her that in case it happens again. And he's like, no, we are going to try to get her as normal as possible. And um, as soon as that was done... She stopped throwing up. Her belly was fine. It was a huge relief. Um, mm -hmm. And then she had to have her pacemaker placed. Um, mm -hmm. So at separation, they put in the permanent leads, but she didn't have enough room for the generator. So he had to, again, another thing that you just have to grow and give time until she had room for the generator. And it was just uh, try to get her as stable as possible, plus getting home nursing for her. Mm -hmm. She had to have a certain amount of hours covered in order for her to go home. <laughs> so it was wow. it was a up and down trying to find people to come home and help us. And um, I think pulmonology and the heart failure team both had to sign off on that, on that piece. <laughs> so there's a bunch more pieces where, you know, the ICU doctors have to clear her. Um, cardiology had to clear her it was just you go to one doctor and get what those people need checked off the list and then move on to the next list from the next specialty <laughs> so it took another six seven months until she came home she came home a year after the day after her first birthday wow. and so and leading up to that um we had a discharge date we had a care conference planned we had nursing set up, and the day of her discharge plan or her care conference, um, she spiked a fever. She got an ileus. Like, they canceled everything, and we had to wait another, I think, two, three weeks. Yes, because oh we were gosh. all set. You know, yeah. we had we had all of our classes done. We had to get our training done to make sure that we could care for her at home, and, you know, it's just... <laughs> Sorry, is that a recorder? In the background is, <laughs> I think so. It's really, it's really just Hold so on. accurate to where we're at. No, it's okay. <laughs> you can... No, I'm getting. <laughs> oh my gosh, hot cross buns! I was <laughs> a recorder too. It's just like such a unique sound. Oh, oh. 
Wah! Yeah. Like, why Why did we pick those in music class out of all I don't know. things to play? My sister changed. Did I tell her? She got a grant a couple years ago. So instead of doing recorders, she does. She's got like 40 ukuleles and they do a few ukuleles. I love set, that. Which is cute. This is being recorded. That was so amazing. I that feel was, like that I was just like if anybody was like, what's it, what's it like to record podcasts with yeah. moms with little kids? I'll just play that. Like this is how it is. <laughs> I love it because there's even no soundproof room could even like get no. keep the the sounds of the melodious recorder out. It just could never happen. I love it so much. That's what I happens when you uh, go into fourth grade. Oh, <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> Get the recorder. And uh, yeah, COVID, you have to do it at home. <laughs> yeah. Yay pa- for, for parents. <laughs> <laughs> Love that for you. Um, okay, so what were we, we were talking about? Um, the discharge date got pushed back because back, of yeah. the fever. So you had just... Now Remy's <laughs> trying to come in. <laughs> I love it. Um, she is relentless when it comes to what she wants. That's yeah, okay. Um, that's okay. Um, I get it. So you had just said, you were just saying how, like, you were set for that date. You had planned yep. and prepped everything, and then everything was canceled. Yeah. And then it was, like, two to three more weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think the doctors finally realized, too, because they're like, if we're going to send them home, Let's just send them home. Why stop dangling it in front of them and just get them there? Because um, I think it was about a month or two before we went home, um, Reese ended up having a stroke after a surgery. And um, it was was really hard to hear. Um, after, after they told us that, um, it, they said she might not talk, she might not walk, she might not, um, develop mental, develop after, like, a one-year-old, um, because it was, at first they told us that, um, her sutures fused too early, and, you know, that was an easy fix, we thought, and, um, after they looked at it a little bit further. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, take your time. It's been a rough month, so it's harder yeah, to... It's okay, yeah. Harder yeah. to talk about it again. Yeah. Um, after they did some more tests and looked back at previous scans. Um, it showed that her brain actually stopped growing. Um, so the sutures did fuse early, but it was because the brain wasn't um, kind of guiding that growth. So um, the thought was to get her home as soon as we could, because at this age, um, really in order to give her like her best shot is to get her home and stimulated not sit in the hospital and 
-hmm. just get her love done basically you know Mm -hmm. and so it was it's hard too because you know they're like well we need to get her home and then she just kept having these setbacks so you're like oh we're wasting time to get her brain to remap and learn what she's already lost so you know we were really pushing to get her home so that we could get her to flourish mm-hmm. um so in the hospital she just you know sat there and laid there and she was sedated for so long and it was just sad to see her you know sometimes you'll walk in and they had to um give her some meds to keep her paralyzed and you know they're doing their cares and they're moving her but she's not moving and you don't know that until they tell you and they're like you you're sitting in that doorway and they look you're like no no it's okay she's just she's sedated she's she's fine but Mm. your brain immediately goes to that worry so we just did absolutely everything that we could to get her home as quick as possible and um the second time that she was set to go home they did her labs and they're like oh well this is a little elevated I was like don't you tell me again that she is not coming home because we are we are set everything is set so they finally let her come home everybody signed off on it and it was very scary you know there you have absolutely everybody you need right by her bedside whenever and then for me her coming home with all of the medical needs that she had I was so scared because I had no idea what I was doing and never been through anything even remotely similar I've never you know both my older kids were just fine and Remy coming home with just one thing to worry about and work on And then you have Reese and you're like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to help her and have her survive at home? So very scary, even though that's exactly where we wanted to be, which, you know, you just, again, buckle up for the ride and (laughs) do what you have to. So it was definitely a learning curve. We made a lot of mistakes and we learned what worked and what didn't, but she was home. We were all under one roof. We were a family and it was also at the same time, just the best thing for all of us. Yeah. And what was it like to have Remy and Reese reunited? Oh my gosh, it was the best ever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and Chase and Lena getting to see her because this is the first right. time they've seen her in uh, about eight months. Wow. So it was huge. And, you know, I mean, we did all the FaceTime and oh, right. um, our music therapy at the hospital was amazing. They had us record um like the kids read books or sang to her Mm -hmm. and they would play that in the room for her so that when Mm -hmm. she came home she knew their voices Mm -hmm. and so that was fun and made it a little easier but again they didn't get to see her hold her touch her like any of that stuff to finally get them and again it was scary for them too because she came home with um all these tubes all these wires you know 
all this extra equipment. So they're like a little nervous to hold her, but that's all he wanted to do was just kiss her. And she loved it. As soon as she oh. saw them and was with them, there Chase is the best big brother. He's playing games with her like, and she's just smiling, and it just it made our hearts so happy. So to mm-hmm. see them all together was it was so much needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. I think one of the things we hear a lot from parents of medically complex kids is this transition from you know, okay, our goal is to get out of the NICU, get home, right? So then you get home and it's beautiful and it's scary and it's hard and fantastic all at the same time. But then your goalpost moves when you have a medically complex kiddo. There are still milestones to achieve. There are still surgeries. There's still all sorts of things. So how did that transition kind of happen for you? And, And when did you kind of realize that maybe your NICU journey was becoming you know, Reese's medical journey, TM, you know, that's been going on and on and on here. Um, I think for both Rob and I, it was still survival mode after, um, right. Because she requires 24 seven nursing and Mm -hmm. coming home, we had to cover between two and four nights and a few days. So, we were completely exhausted because we had to stay up all night with her and some days. And so it was just kind of trying to stay awake and float through a day, basically. Um, and it also didn't help that as soon as we got um, Reese home, Remy ended up back in the hospital with a surgery. So, oh yeah. So it was, yeah, of, of, the first month was kind of a whirlwind. We yeah. we didn't really have a grasp on anything. Um, it took a while to get into a routine to trust our nurses to allow us to kind of take a step back and let them care for her. And it was a lot of just learning what was best for her and how to do that for all of us. Because, yes, her medical needs have to come first and we have to care for her. But we also had other kids that we had to make sure that they were still, we didn't want them just surviving life either. We wanted them to be thriving. And so it's trying to balance that and figure out how we're going to do this life at home. And it took a very, very long time. So, yeah, it was, yeah. it was difficult to figure that out and what was going to work and what wasn't. Right. And you said when you talked about that, you said you guys were in survival mode. Yeah. And we talk often about how when we're in survival mode, it's it's really difficult to even begin to process or think about healing or yeah. even process everything that we've been through. And so for you and your husband, what did like inner healing look like once you were home and when do you feel like you finally had some space to really begin to to process what you've been through um I think neither of us have really scratched the surface on healing you know um because I don't think we've really realized how hard it was because of that 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 was a very long time and I think we got into a routine of like kind of just 
suppressing stuff and worrying about the then and now that we didn't like let our emotions out because being in there we always tried to be like you know what somebody else has it off worse let's just focus on Mm -hmm. the good stuff and not complain because our both our girls were there they were doing better than they said so we just kind of pushed everything down and Mm -hmm. um coming home you know I thought it would just be that magical moment where everything was better and and it's not you know Mm -hmm. it's gonna take a lot to kind of talk about it and let it out and Mm -hmm. allow yourself to feel those emotions because also for kids our, our older kids um you try not to let your emotions out in front of them because you don't want them to worry. And so I think that kind of has a play in it too, where you're just, you don't want them to struggle like you are. And Mm -hmm. I would say the last maybe six months, maybe even less, we're finally feeling like she's turning a corner and we're actually making progress Whereas every other time, you know, it's you're checking off a box. That's it. That's you're mm-hmm. getting one problem solved and there's a handful more that you're still working on. And just the last few months, she's finally been in such a good spot that I feel like we can breathe a little. Mm-hmm. And before that, it's just you don't realize it being in it, too, um, because you put on that mask and you try to be everything for everybody else. And, you know, you put yourself last to try to work on it and fix it. And so I think it's going to take a lot longer to heal, but of course, yeah, yeah, you just are in with that adrenaline for so long. And then it finally wears off and it hits you and you're like, okay, now I need to just start working on things and, and yeah. allow yourself to feel that. Yeah. I think it's even, I mean, it's incredibly profound that you are able to even know that that's what you were doing, right? And to be aware of that, it makes complete sense. Uh, I think you and your husband found a great way to survive and take care of each other and your kiddos for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I just want to reiterate that for you and for anybody who's listening to it, who did the same thing or is doing the same thing, that's absolutely a hundred percent. Okay. And potentially also the only way to do it. So I I think that it's, it's incredible that you're even acknowledging it and making space for yourself to feel those things. I mean, even just doing the interview right now, right. And taking the time to, to process it. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can tell that, um, your kids are really blessed to have you as parents, right? Because they see you facing these issues and the the struggles. And it's a, an incredible model for them of how to survive in yeah. difficult things in their lives. So mm-hmm. kudos to you. Thank you. No, we, I mean, you just find those little things at work. Um, like Rob and I will eat dinner at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. just so we have some time together. Yeah. Same yeah. with the kids, you know. 
we don't have a ton of nursing. So when we do, we seize that moment. We go last minute, go to a movie or, you know, bring them to the park or anything that we can do. Just we try not to worry about because, I mean, you guys know you can't schedule anything because as soon as you do, it just it doesn't <laughs> yeah. ever work out. So we just make the most of each moment and do what we can. Yeah. 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 Well, and I know this isn't on our questions here, but, you know, uh, Reese recently had a hospital admission. Yep. And you <laughs> talked before we started recording about how you always have a bag packed, just kind of ready to go. Yep. And I wonder, you know, you talked a little bit about how you've gotten through, you know, that survival mode, but what do you do to mentally and emotionally get through these readmissions? I mean, how do you endure them? How do you, you know, quote, prepare for them <laughs> or give yourself just some tools yep. to navigate the admissions, the readmissions after NICU? I think having a bag set is very helpful because not only do you have a way to care for yourself, like I have all my toiletries in there. So um, usually they have a room where you can shower and you get that moment to relax and breathe Mm. because, you know, when you go in, it's Mm. your heart is pumping and it, it, you need that moment after. Um, but I also always bring a journal mm-hmm. and I, as soon as I found out about the girls, I started writing because, um, I wasn't sure how everything would play out and whether I had one or two girls or none, I felt like I needed to write it down in order to remember mm-hmm. it because going through it, I mean, yes, you lived it, but you also forget a lot. And Mm. especially with like trauma and stress and anxiety and all those emotions that tie into it, there is so much that you try not to think about. And I feel like it's nice to have it written down Mm. and be able to read it again or even give it to my kids or, you know, Mm. do something with it. But to have that and read back like what you went through, you're like, how did we do that? And this is huge for us. We did that. We made it. We survived it. And yeah. you, you know, you can kind of pat yourself on the back and be proud of it because, yes, you know, it's a lot that you go through. Yeah, absolutely. I love that in that bag, you, you thought of yourself in it too, because oftentimes we put ourselves last, <laughs> you know, and rightly so, right? Like our kids are everything and we would do anything for them, but I love that you give yourself just that little bit of something for you, eat yeah. with that journal and those toiletries to take yeah. that hot shower, to take a minute, because that's another way that we get through is yeah. when we can like take a moment for ourselves so that we can be present and that we can be available for our kids. And I think yeah. that's very wise that you intentionally do that because it would be so easy to forget to do that. Yeah. And I, well, I think, I mean, living in the hospital for a full year, I learned really quick that I need to have at least some snacks in my bag because otherwise, (laughs) you know, you're so worried about your kid that. Yes. And I think the stress also, you just, you can't eat a ton. So having some sort of snack in there, I feel like is much needed for Mm -hmm. parents because how else, how else do you make it through such scary times? 
You're right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you need like some normalcy. Yeah. <laughs> Your snacks, not something you bought yes. at the hospital cafeteria. Yep. Just something that's <laughs> yours. Yeah. Absolutely. If you are a longtime listener of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast, or you have found yourself enjoying this episode, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. Reviews on Apple and other platforms help other mamas and friends just like you find our podcast, help boost us so that we are more available and accessible to others, and they let us know that you're loving what you're hearing too. So we love to hear the stories that you're connecting with. We love to hear how the episodes resonate with you, and having that review is a great way for us to get a really tangible feel of how this podcast resonates with your heart. I wonder how you would answer this question, but you know, what do you wish that people understood about what it means to be a medically complex mom? You know, if somebody were to ask you, like, what is it like? Like, how how would you define it? And what do you wish that people people understood about it? Yeah, I don't think anybody really realizes how stressful it is. Um, mm-hmm. Because, and I I was never, like, a super helicopter mom to my other kids and then having her who has a bunch of medical needs um it just changes your thought process Mm -hmm. and you just you're constantly worried you're constantly stressed about making the decisions for her because you are you're being outside of the hospital and in charge of all of her cares you know your kid the best and whether medically complex or not I'm sure most moms realize that, you know, it's it's on you. You're mm-hmm. the one who has to say, no, this isn't right. And so not being a nurse or a doctor or anything like that, I always worry that I'm not giving them the right information or I'm not making the right decision for her because of that. But you have to – you're still the mom and you still know what is best for her. And I think just the stress, people don't realize how exhausted you can get by it. Mm-hmm. And even my family, I mean, they they live through it with us. And I still think there's parts of it that they don't understand, especially us having, um, <laughs> having nursing in our home 24-7 is hard. You, you're... Yeah especially for me, I feel like I can't be myself sometimes because there's always somebody else in your house judging you. So, and I know our nurses are great, but it's it's just that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, and going places you, you stress about bringing a nurse with because you want them to feel comfortable too. So it's, it's a lot of different parts that play into your entire life that I feel like people don't really recognize because they think it's like a separate piece, but race is a part of our family and that all those medical things come with us. Same with the nurse. So it's, yeah, it's a little difficult Mm -hmm. to maneuver and, and, and live your life that way. So it's, it's, it's definitely draining, but yeah, worth it too, because she's still here and improving. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of how incredible Reese is, could you tell us maybe what your favorite things are about Reese and Remy as individuals? Maybe how their personalities have changed. We've heard a little bit of Remy um, in the background, um, but just how you celebrate them and as individuals. Yeah. Remy is just a spitfire. She is hilarious. <laughs> she is but looking at her, you wouldn't think that she was ever a conjoined twin or mm-hmm. ever spent time in the hospital. You know, she's always up for a challenge. And just we love how crazy she is, even <laughs> if she is tiring. And, you know, she is just hilarious. I love absolutely everything about her. And mm-hmm. she's she's basically one of Reese's caregivers. You know, she comes in and she's jumping in with um, therapy with her. She's like, here, Reese, I'll help you, and grabs her hand and does what she can for her, and she sees what we do with, um, like, her syringes, so she's trying to put it on the extension. Like, she just loves and cares for her so much. She's wiping Mm -hmm. a drool off her face, giving her her passy, so it's just fun to see her caring so much for her. Yeah, yeah. And then Reese just, you know... That first, when they're so young, it doesn't. Their personality doesn't pop out right away, right? And that first year in the hospital, she had so much going on that, you know, it took a little extra for her personality to come out. Um, and she, once she came home, she really flourished and she changed a ton and she showed a ton of personality and. Then she had uh, a hemispherectomy done a few months ago. And since then, we have felt like she has become a whole other person, too. Like, Mm -hmm. just everything was finally able to wake up and her true self was able to come out. And this girl, I tell you, she has taught us, like, she fights like no other. Um, And I feel like that also has given our whole entire family like we have to match her energy she is like i'm never giving up i don't care how hard this is like i will still have a smile on my face and she's just incredible so Mm. it's fun to have her home and she's almost opposite of remy she's super laid back and like she'll do whatever (laughs) and remy has to be in charge so it's fun to see them (laughs) together and dynamic Uh, duo yeah it's a little hard because, you know, it's not like your typical twins. They don't get yeah. to do everything together. Um, so sometimes it, it makes you a little sad that you don't get to do mm-hmm. a typical twin life with them. But they have their own normal and yes. they have their own ways. And um, mm-hmm. just getting to like the little milestones even have been so enhanced for us that it's just it makes it even better than yeah some typical things that we would you know normally get excited for so that's been fun that's so beautiful it's really fun to hear like the background noise of your podcast (laughs) because it's just like I mean did you ever dream like when you were in the throes of it I'm sure you dreamt of the noise in your house and your girls banging on the door yeah you know and so it's just like hearing their their story and where they started and and now getting to just hear the background noise of your everyday life is is truly miraculous and it's just it's 
there's it's just powerful there's no words I mean it's just yeah. anything I say it all the time too because I think we were kind of blind to how sick she was in the beginning mm-hmm. because that's all we knew and to see her so yeah. well now we're like oh my gosh mm-hmm. yes she was very sick and mm-hmm. and it makes it you know you're like oh my gosh this is just how did we get here how did she go through all of that and still manage to, like, she is proving all these doctors wrong. <laughs> so it, we're like, how, did, how does she keep doing this? She's just, mm-hmm. she does not give up. Yeah. Well, and you never gave up on her, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the ways that you and your husband advocated and fought for her from the very moment... I mean, your girls are thriving today because yeah. of your steady advocacy and love. And you should be so proud of yourself, Kate. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you guys have journeyed through, truly miraculous. And like Martha said, they hit the jackpot with you as their mom. Mm-hmm. And you are amazing. Thank you. We just, I mean, we do our best. It's all we can do. So, yep. Yep. yeah. Well, and maybe as I know we're getting to our kind of closing questions here, but you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit about how it's hard for people to understand the stress if they're not living it every day. And so I wonder for any of, um, you know, what words would you give to some of our medically complex mamas that might be listening today that are also experiencing that daily stress, whether that's just like having that hospital bag packed, kind of always yeah. being on that high alert, or even just feeling the isolation of nobody else totally yeah. gets this, yeah. you know. What words of love or encouragement would you give them if they're in that same place? I would say never give up on that hope. Um, I mean, there were so many times we were told this and that, and these kids, they are fighters. They will not give up. They don't care what these doctors say or what other people have done. They will, they will do their own thing and just focus on that because they can do so much. And it's hard to kind of pat yourself on the back and like brag about yourself, but you're behind them. And Mm -hmm. like having that love, that is all that they need in order to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are some ways that you've intentionally sought out community or, you know, gotten through it? I know you have a very supportive husband and family and you mentioned like your church family, but, you know, have you found ways to connect with other medically complex moms or what do you do to just like, you know, take care of that part of your life? Yeah, we, um, there are Facebook groups, support groups for basically everything Mm -hmm. and, Yes, you can ask your doctors whatever, but these moms and dads, they know <laughs> they know everything. And having getting on those groups, um, mm-hmm. they can answer the weird questions. They never judge you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it's always good to get on there and see other people yeah. going through the same thing cuz you don't go out often and see kids with all these other medical needs and mm-hmm. you know you're a little scared to bring them out because people look and question you and so seeing other people go through that is it it definitely helps you get out there more yeah that's good 
Kate, we can't thank you enough for dedicating your very precious time, uh, not once but twice to meeting with us. We are so appreciative. And I think that your story and your wisdom is going to resonate with so, so many people in our audience. So thank you. No, thank you. I'm glad. I If we can help anybody, because the support we get and the people we've met through our journey, that's what we want to be to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'll echo what Martha said. Thank you for being here, especially after your recent hospitalization as well. I mean, you have had a crazy month. Yeah. So we just appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your story. And it's when we can hear, when another mom can hear themselves reflected in another mom's story, that's when healing begins because you know that you're not alone. And so thank you for being willing to do that with us. And to any of our medically complex mamas who find themselves isolated, who find themselves in that continual survival mode of when will this feel, quote, normal, whatever normal means, right? (laughs) We just want to affirm that you are not alone and we're so proud of the ways that you advocate. And so, um, mamas, we are so grateful to share this space with you. We're so honored to know you, and we're so honored to get to share the stories of your resilient miracles. So we will be back next week with another episode. But Kate, thank you again so much for being with us here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Maniki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.